Today Show, Nate Kaczynski is an activist, he's a revolutionary, and he has branded some of the most notable products and companies on the airwaves in his years as a marketer. He's called The Experience by those who know him, and today we get to find out why. Marketing legend Nate Kaczynski on Tuesday noon for October 31st, 2006. Welcome to Tuesday Noon. We're back. It's another Tuesday. It's another noon. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Wahoo. We made it to Halloween. This I is love exciting. this day. Pete, take off your mask. I, that's, I see. You know, that joke was great <laughs> in 1950. Right? But it was still funny. Because <laughs> your first it's comment so, was, I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> oh, it's oh, not funny anymore. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know we're we're back in Seattle. It's another uh, part of our Seattle road trip. We've had a great experience here with our Seattle folks. We thank them for stepping up and and uh, and sitting down with us for the next month. We'll be in Miami, Florida. <laughs> nice, yeah. Miami in November. Why not, man? Oh, is it hurricane? Is that hurricane season? No, I don't know. All I know is that there's a window of Miami that you want to you want to okay. hit. Right? Maybe we'll be in Hawaii. Uh, I think you can go there any time. Yeah. Join us for our Hawaii show. In our Hawaii yeah. show. Hawaii we'll go wherever Hawaii we need to go. Show. Here we, right. we have a really exciting show today. Actually. We do. I'm very excited because this is, uh, you know, this is kind of our field, right? I'm, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I'm a marketing I'm all over marketing guy. Stuff. I'm very excited about this. Whose whose job is it to do the big intro? Mary's job. Oh, that's my job. Well, hi, Mary. Hi. All right. Well, who we have here with us today is uh, Nate. And oh, Nate, will you say your last name for the? No, audience? you got to take a shot. I do. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Kozitsky? Close. Okay. Kozitsky. Kozitsky. Okay. I'm from the Midwest. Yeah, I butcher everything. <laughs> you really you really <laughs> did butcher that. I did. Hold I gotta on. tell you. Yeah, can we stop real quick, Mary? Can you tell us what Xander is for, for Halloween? Xander is going to be an eggplant. An eggplant, ladies oh and gentlemen. You are <laughs> such a vegetarian. Now, taking when, it way too far. When your kid is growing up, did you ever think eggplant? What's it going to be next year? Brussels sprout? I figure by next year he'll Carrots? be three and he'll be demanding. He'll know what he wants to be. He'll be a handgun. So, <laughs> I want to be a know. Beretta 9mm model. <laughs> oh, as no, soon as we, he becomes Halloween we, sentient. Because yeah. I was an eggplant last it's year. It's so cute. <laughs> We're going to have a picture on the website so everybody He's can see Xander in his eggplant, eggplant outfit. Oh. Anyway. I know. I'm scarring him for life. Yes, you are. Truly. All right. Please, anyway, continue. okay. Back, 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 back. So we have Nate here with us. He's um, a faculty member, obviously, here in Seattle, teaches a whole variety of classes, has a fascinating background. Um, and so I know for all of us, we're just interested, has done some, has worked with some incredible clients, has been a successful entrepreneur himself, uh, marketing background, um, researcher, industrial psychologist that I'd like to talk about a little bit at one point. But anyway, Nate, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself and and um, where you've been and where you are now. I, I have to tell you, Nate, uh, the, we've, we've interviewed other people who know you, and they say to us, who else uh, are you talking to? We say, well, we've got Nate Kosicki coming in, and they say, the experience. Hmm. They call you the experience, Nate. Why do they call you the experience? I don't know. I think that um, people don't know me. I think we all and should be so lucky to have that kind of moniker. Nobody knows everything that I do. People just uh, acknowledge me for the small part of me that touches them. Uh, some people just think I'm a hockey player or um, a skier. I used to be a professional mm-hmm. hockey player. Really? Uh, wow. So um, some people just relate to me as a, you know, an athlete or an agent sure. athlete anymore now. Um, some people think I'm a teacher. 
you know, uh, nobody knows really who I am. So maybe that's the experience. And I come and go, you know, you don't want to get too close to the flame. <laughs> yeah. This is a rental, not a purchase. <laughs> so tell us about yourself. Well, I grew up in Montreal, and, um, uh, which was a wonderful place to grow up. Um, I suppose uh, my grandmother was my best friend growing up, so I was privy to a, a much earlier time. And I remember running outside with a carrot to feed the milkman's horse. You know, he used to come by with a you know, horse, uh, so, uh, you know, to deliver the milk. And uh, uh, so, you know, I, uh, there's a certain uh, privilege associated with, uh, uh, you know, growing up in, uh, in that type of an environment. And uh, uh, some of the kids that I grew up with uh, are, you know, are the leaders in the world today. Um, they came from Eastern Europe, you know, 1956, the Hungarian Revolution. And so um, these people came over here, and they were doctors and lawyers in Eastern Europe, and they were janitors over, you know, over here in Canada. And so they pushed their kids, saying, to bring the family name back, wow. uh, you have to work hard, have to have an education. Everybody I know is a doctor, a lawyer, a PhD of some kind. Wow. That's just how it was in our, uh, in our neighborhood. So it was a great place to, uh, to grow up. Did you get into marketing in Canada early? Or? No, no, I had no interest in, in pretty much anything. I was just living my life as, yeah. a, as a dumb kid. Um, you know, and so the, the longer it takes you to grow up, the more fun you can have and the more that gets stored in the brain. Cause, uh, and there's hope for me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm on top of the world. <laughs> and Sorry. The, and the brain stores everything in the lifelong yeah. hope of you, you know, arriving. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're waiting for it. One day. We're so waiting. Have, so I have a lot of wonderful experiences to, to look back on, you know, and get a different take on it at different stages of my life. I've looked back on certain things that have happened and had a different take each, each, each time as I become a different person, hopefully a larger person. What age did you start playing hockey? Oh, like everybody, about four years old. You know? Wow. Yeah. It's also cool. a fairly decent skier. I taught racing and raced for college and did all that kind of kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going back. I had ACL surgery a few months ago. Oh, so that's yeah. been kind of interesting. But supposedly I could go ski again in spring. Wow. Keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, truly. But anyway, so, then it was yeah, like 1970. Please. I went on to University of Calgary to do a graduate work. And, um, uh, you know, 1970, pretty exciting time. Uh, I got my master's in six months. And uh, then um, uh, my uncle was... Um, uh, he was in the toy business, so I did my uh, my thesis on children's toys. Um, you know, persuasive communication to convince uh, parents to to buy different toys uh, for their kids. So I, I, I basically I did it on you know communication and advertising. I studied brainwashing and all of that sort of stuff. Um, uh, and then in the the summer, my advisor said, "Well, why don't you would you like to take this job? You know, hired by uh, uh, Prime Minister of Canada to." Uh, run part of the youth hostel system in Canada to take care of the traveling youth of the nation. And there were a lot of people coming up from, you know, Vietnam War, and people were running around right in the middle of the, you know, hippie generation. I was just a regular, you know, straight kid, looked kind of like I do now. Uh, but when that summer was over, my hair was way out to here like a big, huge afro and had lots of things around my neck. And We should get that for the website. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. and uh, lifetime friends, you know. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, um, uh, we all went through pretty much everything together, a full... Uh, change and different way of looking at life. So tell us about um, 
kind of in the 70s, and a little bit earlier you alluded to a story about yourself with draft dodgers. So, Well, it was part of our responsibility to take care of the draft dodgers that were coming up to Canada. It wasn't our war, and we uh, um, uh, perceived that uh, these people had made a very difficult decision, and uh, we didn't want them to be a drain on our society, and so it was uh, in part my responsibility to uh, take care of the... Uh, um, the medical, legal, and uh, housing requirements of the people who were coming up to Canada. And we wanted to welcome them in and, and uh, give them a good start. So as I part did of that. what function? It just uh, as a social duty, or was this part of an organizational it's or part a of an organization? Yeah, yeah, it was a government-paid job. Government although they kept, job. although they kept a little bit of an arm's length from us. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't be too associated with you in some ways. Maybe. I mean, I've been spread eagled <laughs> over more more cop cars than you can imagine, um, but. Uh, um, but I think in the end, we all ended up respecting one another. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was also in charge of, like, um, we used to call it crowd control at uh, rock concerts. Uh, that meant that somebody's having a bad trip on a drug, and you point them in the direction of their arm mole. And they go, oh, look at that. Go, oh, oh yeah. And then they're off the topic wherever they were. But you had to know to do that. Right. And you had to be just less, slightly less screwed up than they were. <laughs> to be able to uh, communicate. So, I mean, I worked with um, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, the band, uh, really? Shanana. This is where the experience uh, New writers, yeah, uh, uh, Purple Sage, Jerry Garcia, all those, all those people. So, yeah, yeah, all part of the same Very generation. Cool. You know, I have a lot of people in my class in military, still proud to have been there, whatever. Um, we're all part of the same generation. We all get along really well. I also see in your bio here that you have an Emmy. Yeah, I've won those types of things. In my business, you do. Um, you do a lot of production work. It's hard to avoid those. Uh, um, you go through a period in life when you're a shameless self-promoter, and part of being a shameless self-promoter is having certain awards attached to your name, and so you submit for these awards, and so many of them you win. Hmm. I want to go back to that transition, how you made it from athlete to social advocate to activist to, when did you cross the border? Entrepreneur. Entrepre and, and become that entrepreneur. I mean, how did you, how did you get here from there? Uh, well, uh, I, there's a point, I think, in most people's lives when you, first of all, I had a lot of education by accident. So I was very fortunate that way. I didn't have to go back to school. Where I grew up, that's what you did. You went until you finished. And I didn't even know there was any sort of real life after school. Right. And you probably didn't just, know you really had an option not to go. I mean, that was just what you did. It's what you did, you yeah. know. And then the, there's a point where that ends and you say, well, what am I going to do? Well, I certainly didn't want to end up being a teacher in a university. Um, they didn't look too damn happy to me. And after my, uh, my summer experience with everything, I could only possibly talk about it with people that have been there. Um, because there's just so much that happened uh, in terms of seeing the larger world. And when I went back to school after that summer, people were still sitting in the same office, looking the same way, talking about the same things. And somehow I saw that as an atrocity. Um, and I just wanted to be out there in life, seeing what was going on. And I suppose I never stopped doing that. Well, somewhere along the way, I had a girlfriend that was in an advertising agency. And I, I decided I wanted to uh, be a musician. And I was average. I was OK. Um, but what then did you play? I play guitar. I yeah. still play a couple hours a day just for the hell of it. Yeah, yeah I married a musician. Pretty 
well-known, famous musician. Um, well, who is but, that? Huh? Who is that? Andrea Arnold and uh, her, uh, you know, Eddie Arnold. Yeah. Uh, that's his uh, um, granddaughter. So oh. I, I came into right. that that family of uh, uh, longtime musicians. And, Interesting. Yeah, she yeah. was very, very cool. It was a very exciting period of my life, actually, when we traveled around and um, spent a year on the road. That is very cool. She was a mange lounge, lounge act in Las Vegas and Hollywood starlet and all that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So that's what brought me to L.A. I was going to be a writer, and she was going to continue her career. And so... Um, uh, I won a contest in Canada, and I won, um, it's called a PEP grant, and uh, uh, to write novels. Uh, I submitted a novel and you know, came in second or third or something like that, but it, it was a cash prize. So I had an agent in New York and an agent in uh, Los Angeles, and I went down there and did some movies. And uh, then uh, had to, at some point, move out of the Tahiti Motel on Sepulveda Boulevard, you know, with the... <laughs> Two kids and a dog and a piece of card that you know is so scratched up that uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't emboss anymore. Remember those days when yeah. things embossed? <laughs> yeah, right, right. It wouldn't emboss anymore, so the only place it would take it was Alfie's, and so we had to bail out of there. And I went down to San Diego and started an ad agency. I was driving tractor till three in the afternoon. Then I pick up the phone, open the yellow pages, and ask just start asking people if they needed somebody to help them with an ad. Actually, landed a client as, after three as a months of doing that. Yeah copywriter, researcher, whatever it is that you needed, I could do it for you. And I landed a, a client and parlayed that into a $60 million agency. Wow. So it's a pretty interesting That's success story. Very cool. And got married along the way and divorced and all that kind of good stuff. Are you, uh, now, are, uh, t today, are you still part of the agency or did you? The agency is now five different agencies. Oh. And I have my own. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And I, I, I left with a couple of accounts. And the way the business goes, I don't have those accounts uh, yeah. uh, presently. But yeah, it's, things are very nice and very sweet. And uh, everything that I do now, I have a virtual office. I have about 20 people working with me. And we just PDF back and forth. You know, we, don't, we see the client as little as we need to see each other, almost never. And, just put and out, they're all over the country, All world. over the country, yeah. And put out just the greatest work, uh, yeah, as good as anything I've ever done. So I'm really current. And it's a young person's game. You have to stay current. Yes. And you're either you're there or you're not, and there's no hiding. And one thing that's good about being old with a young attitude is uh, you can't be fooled. You know, you can't be fooled. But you know, still, still like what you do. That's fantastic. At least I do. Yeah. That is a wonderful story. And it gets us to, uh, you know, what you have shown us in your wonderful bio is this, this vast litany of the various brands that you have that you have helped shape, create and shape and, and, uh, and sort of shepherd uh, into the marketplace. I'm, I'm very interested in your perspective on, on this branding game and, and what the role of brand is in this young person's game. Well, we used to call it different things. Branding is just the most recent buzzword. It's got about a five-year you know, five life so far. I use it all the time now, too. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, to me, it means consistency of, of image and message across everything that you're putting out. And there's, um, there's, a, there's a, a particular image. It's called a hero image. And that's the main image. That's the hub of everything that you do. And then you come up with that image, and then you have equity with that image against everything that you're doing. So if it's a direct mail piece or it's a television commercial or a radio spot or a website, um, it carries that uh, a germ of that hero image on everything that you do. And so a potential customer 
should be able to just see that image, know who you are, know what you stand for, know how to reach you, and it's, it, it just is the, that alignment of your communications plan. That's what branding is. How does branding fit with response advertising? You got a lot. Of, I mean, this seems to be. I mean, the world that we live in right now is this sort of point and click. Uh, you go on the website. You are being begged for a response, right? Yeah. To me, everything is response advertising. The only thing that might not be, you could say, is the traditional use of television, um, where you're just creating the. Uh, you know, if like in a timeshare, you have openers and closers. Mm-hmm. So television is more of an opener. Uh, you just want to create that mental set in somebody's mind that, oh, that's really neat. I'll get around to that sometime. And then the direct mail piece comes and, and hits you, right? Or the, um, uh, But TV is changing now, too, with interactive TV. And in a very few years, you know, you're going to see hunt and, uh, hunt and click and interactivity and television as well. Everything should be aimed at a response. And what's going to kind of happen, I mean, this might be going off on a tangent, but what's going <clears> to <throat> happen to some extent to the advertising agency in that traditional TV market as TiVo's? become more and more popular and people are fast-forwarding right through all of that, those commercials. So where does that, where does that put them and what's the new angle now if, if eventually there's not the television audience you used to have? Well, that's a good question. Well, it's all, it's all uh, I mean, television is one piece of a marketing mix, uh, promotional mix, and um, uh, it's all done by the numbers. So if your numbers start to um, uh, slip off, um, uh, based upon a viewing audience or some external factor that comes in that uh, uh, will impact uh, viewing audience. It really is just a disturbance in the force right now. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal, It's yeah, not okay. a big deal. May it ever become a big deal? I don't know. Things, things are definitely changing. Uh, you know, we're watching TV now through our, uh, you know, through our, through our laptops and, you know, um, through our gaming machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, uh, where, wherever there's a medium, advertising will be the driving force behind that medium because the medium can only survive through advertising dollars. And the media itself, um, each medium will find a way to capitalize on advertising. Otherwise, it won't survive. Because it needs money. It needs money to Disrupt, operate. Right. That's right. Yeah, even TV, it's becoming more product placement than we've had in a long time. Uh, I think you probably... Yeah, like on shows, you mean? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think the, the the definition between a show and a commercial is becoming more bored. That's true. Even yeah. years ago, I mean, uh, uh, got a, I don't remember what year it was, but I was taking care of Hobie Cat. It was probably around 1983, 84. All right, that's a long time ago. Um, uh, and they would send me up to Hollywood to say, can we put, um, uh, to see um, a producer's, uh, can you put a Hobie cat in your, you know, in your show, and we'll provide you with the, um, you know, with the sailboat and the crew, and just just write it in to what you're doing, and there's, you know, there's there's a fee attached to that. You have to pay them to do you it. You bet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because that's a placement, mm-hmm. and that becomes a subliminal. Well, that's what television is. It's a subliminal. As television becomes less of a subliminal, you get more of a, a look and click. Well, there's a there's a whole trend right. I mean, there's a whole issue right now where the Writers Guild uh, has come forward saying, you know what, <clears throat> if you're going to be coming to us, production studio, and telling us that we need to start writing uh, products into our sh- episodic television series, we want to be paid 
based on advertising rates mm -hmm. and in addition to our, uh, our scale wages. Uh, well, that poses an interesting question. I mean, you talk about the blurred line between the advertisement and the and the, uh, the right because the they used to be separate. They but used now, to be separate, if the writer's more. responsible for making it compelling for that product too, right? Do they have a stake in that, and, are, and should they be compensated for that? Maybe yeah. they should be. Yeah, that won't happen. And uh, the reason it won't happen is the writers are the low people on the totem pole. Um, the, the lowest person on the totem pole actually would be the graphics designer because even the lowly writer can go in and tell the graphics designer what to do. Um, but in, uh, uh, you, you go to uh, L.A., Hollywood, anywhere, it's everybody in line is writing a screenplay. You, know? you can always move somebody, somebody out. And we're not, we're not a very union-friendly uh, uh, world right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you're going to be outsourcing writers, but you could certainly find another one in a hurry. Well, look what happened as soon as the Writers Guild goes on strike. You see the flourishing of reality television and exactly. contest television shows. And the largest product placement shows are American Idol. And yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is an hour-long commercial. Well, it's really funny. You can, I've gotten really adaptive watching TV and looking in the background, and you see products all the time. You see all these different messages that aren't necessarily part of the storyline or anything, and they're just placed, and you, Coca-Cola right. sitting there, yeah. or this, or a, a Mac in the background. It's not even part of the storyline, but a Mac is sitting there with its la the big logo mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah, it's wow. very bored. So so what's next? I mean, in, in terms of how we touch people, I mean, Mary made a, a point earlier. I'm interested in your background in, in industrial psychology and, and social anthropology because I think that gives you an interesting perspective on how we touch people in our messaging. Uh, what's next in terms of, of how people are resonating with, their, with, with advertising and, and how they're getting and trusting their messages that are coming into their lives? Well, uh, getting and trusting messages is, just has to be an extraordinarily, extraordinarily naive position in, uh, in this day and age because... Because um, nobody uh, does. <laughs> well, I, I don't think they should have reason to because the actual channel of communication is also owned by the product people. And so when you talk about news, there is no such thing as news anymore. Exactly. It's just agenda-driven. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, um, it's, um, it's driven by corporation that happens to own media. Right. And um, uh, if you read uh, Walter Cronkite's autobiography, A Reporter's Life, he actually names... Uh, uh, dates and meetings where this transition took place. We're not going to do news anymore. We're going to do entertainment. So it's all entertainment. Yep. And uh, so you have Steve Jobs now basically um, uh, um, being a major player, Pixar being now a major player in Disney, you know, the entire Apple connection, which has really been wonderful. Um, uh, that's where things are going, that you're going to receive all of your information while you're doing something else. Well, you're multitasking well, and, and you just happen to have it with you. And what's been interesting is if you watch, you know, you sit and you watch your local news at 6 o'clock and there's these companies that advertise who sell nothing. There's nothing you could buy from them as the consumer. You know, they're in plastic. So they're in the, and so you sit and you wonder, well, why on earth are they sitting here, you know, advertising? Okay, maybe they want you to know you're, they want to talk to stockholders. Uh, well, if that was the case, they'd advertise on CNBC or, or what those other financial networks are. And so what you know, there's speculation of is, well, no, we buy airtime. And so that then when there's a negative story possibly coming out about plastics, right, they can call up the network and basically say, you run the story about plastics, we pull our 
advertising dollars, oh, and I it's see. working. I mean, and then thus the new, they're they're angling and spinning news because they're trying to keep their sponsors happy, um, and and so I think that's also. I mean, there's been I think a lot of things that have changed the whole nature of news, and that's going down another story. But no, but true. there's but you know you sit there and it's like you know why am I you know why does ADM advertise to me? I can't buy a thing ADM makes as a consumer. Right. You know. Um, so there's something there. Well, I mean, I think what you said is accurate. And um, uh, w what I'm saying is everything is advertising. The, the original question was where are things going? Well, they're going where they are right now. It's just going to be more portable. We're just going to be more and more portable, but the, uh, the, the destruction has taken place. We're in an entertainment world, period. Right. And the media brings that to us, and the media is an entertainer. Is there any independent media really left? No, you have you have bastions of, of uh, you know sanity, uh, um, but but not in the media. As a matter of fact, people are being kind of kept out of the media, and you know uh, NPR is just a tragic joke right now. Anyway, uh, it's, why is uh, that? Why do you think because uh, because it's, uh, we have a. Uh, 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 an administration right now that scared the hell out of them that they're going to lose their funding. And, you know, the main thing that somebody wants to do, an entity wants to do, is stay alive. They told once them you bring less it, news, didn't they? Yeah. Once you bring it down, once you bring it down to, um, uh, to air and water, we're going to shut off your air. You're not going to be able to get any more water. People will start following you for what, for what you want them to do. And that's when integrity leaves the, leaves the store. And that's sort of the world that we're in right now. Now, there can be some very pleasant moments inside there, but it's not, it's not set up for that. It's set up for, um, uh, to channel through what gets determined to be channeled through. Uh, but I really, you see, I do public relations as well, a full-service uh, uh, company. So when, when you're talking about um, in the, uh, how a company will do some advertising to leverage against stories written about them, that's entirely accurate. As a matter of fact, we go in now to do contracts with magazines, and we'll say, we'll buy a contract with you if you run a feature story About, yeah. on our company. <laughs> yeah. Because right. all of that leverage goes away the moment you sign the contract. So you go in and you do the contract, and you get a story. Now the naive reader looks at this magazine. Mm -hmm. Plus, I will say, I don't want an ad in the same month that that story is running. What do I want to double hit there? It doesn't make sense. I want, to get, I want to get more frequency. I want to get more reach. Plus, I don't want them to look at an ad and then see, this, and then see the story because it looks, oh, yeah, they bought Conflict it. Conflict of interest. So, uh, you know, so, so we pull that deal as well. Now, the naive reader is going to say, oh, there's something valid about that company because I just read this story on them, which is the whole point of public relations anyway. Which is more valuable to you, the ad or the story? Well, yeah, you have to have both. And the story is there and gone. Um, I just had a meeting with a client yesterday talking about um, uh, what to do, what, how to work back end from a PR story. You get the story and then you reprint that story out thousands of times and you have a cover letter attached to that, that reprint and then you send it out and now you've got a direct mail campaign with some credibility attached to it. And it didn't cost you anything for the material. So you need to work PR. Because PR is just, well, what did you do for me today? What did you do for me today? What did you do? It's the most thankless job you could possibly ever have. So once you do get a story out, you want to use that story against, against a different mix in your entire program to match up to the plan to get as many hits as you possibly can against your target audiences. 
and you're building market share uh, and mind share with them. That's a great word. They're, yeah. they're, they're reading it. They see the advertisements, so it's certain mind share. And so then whenever they're looking for that product or service, you're one of the top one or two, and, and you're there. That's what it's all about is, is repetition, repetition, repetition. And, the, um, and that's what gets expensive. You know, reach is semi-expensive, but you have to have enough impact against your reach. And the repetition is, is the way to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't have to pay for some of that repetition, that's mm-hmm. what you want to find. That's yeah. what you want to do. Yeah. Well, that's how Coca-Cola and Pepsi, and they spend millions, but they're just trying to keep there so you will continue to buy their stuff because it's, again, you've got that mind share. Because as soon as you think they're just like every other soda product out there, then they've lost mind share. They, became, they become like Safeway Select or whatever it is. They're no different than I will argue to say they are better than <laughs> Well, but that's not my point. They <laughs> no, need I know to keep that brand alive I know, so you're that right. you perceive them as right. being different. Right, exactly. Whether they are or they aren't, I guess, really doesn't matter. Exactly. You, you know, I had a lot of Starbucks uh, shares. and uh, I, um, I stopped drinking coffee uh, right after my operation because I was down for 10 days and could barely drink water. And nothing that you really want to do either because then you have to go to the bathroom and where are you going to go? So you really get to relate to old people when you have kind of a, uh, you know, an so injury where you're just surgery. in one yeah. spot. And um, uh, so I said, well, that's a good time to start cleaning things up. So I stopped drinking coffee. But yesterday I had to meet in a Starbucks. And I uh. went in there and I, I'm not drinking coffee, you know, but I'm there and I'm looking around, well, you know, why does this place, you know, I didn't understand it anymore. I mean, I understood it. I understood it from owning a lot of stock, and, <laughs> and God bless them, and keep drinking that. They're doing fine, <laughs> but but I didn't Nate really. Nate is under- not advocating <laughs> I cutting caffeine. No, I didn't understand why I was there. You know, um, so uh, uh, interesting. So, so it is. Own, inter- so yeah. you can step outside of these um, uh, synaptic connections, these these mental pathways that advertising is creating for you. You talk about a culture, and what is that culture made up of? The culture is made up of how you sell yourself to yourself. And we've been doing a hell of a job of selling ourselves to ourselves in this country and exporting it around the world. We're the best marketers in the world. There's no doubt. But it doesn't mean we have to buy our own crap. Yeah, but we do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so true. So true. Yeah, we certainly do. There's no doubt about it. It can can still be an individual and recognize things for what they are and maintain your own sense of self exactly. in, and treat things as entertaining rather than things that are infiltrating your brain trying to get you to do something. Well, that goes back to you were talking uh, earlier in your career about brainwashing and, and whatnot. Yeah. With all this advertising that goes on and, and even the uh, way that the government communicates with us, are we basically training people to act and behave the way we want them to behave? Are we well, brainwashing them? Of course. That's happened a long time ago. You know, 1984 was quite a long time ago. I mean, George Orwell, we're way past George Orwell and Big Brother. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've bought that already. We've swallowed that Kool-Aid a long, long time ago. Um, you know, uh, when you start thinking about whether something is happening, it probably means it happened about 15 years ago. So we are, <laughs> we are essentially living in the Matrix. You betcha. Yeah, heart and soul. 
Um, I, I'm tempted to ask you this question. Do you feel like there's any hope for us? Oh, yeah. But I have, a, I, have, I have this feeling that you come back saying, why do we care about that? You know, who cares? Let's move on. Well, hope is interesting. The Russians say, in fact, they say hope is the last thing to go. Yeah. Um, uh, but I handle and have handled some extremely wonderful clients that have phenomenal product integrity. And you can use all of these, um, these ways of communicating to a positive end. And I call it features, functions, and benefits. When I worked with 3M, I couldn't write a sentence without having a feature, a function, and a benefit in it. So you say, here's what's in the product. Here's how the product works. Here's what's in it for you. So in any sentence, a customer can look to see what the benefit is and track it back to the way the product works, to the, to the feature that was embedded in the product. And you can accept or reject the, uh, the, the presentation that we made saying, this is why we think our product is really good, feature, function, and benefit. So there's another level to, um, uh, to advertising, which is educational for the right clients. And then you have to have all the different skills to be able to, to put, those things, uh, put those things out there. And, I mean, hopefully we're getting smarter consumers. Uh, there's more information available. This is the data-driven universe right now. There's more data available, more information available. and um, uh, Coupled with a generation that's grown up with it now. Knows how to use it. Knows how to use it. And, and it's more it skeptical than ever because they've seen that all this advertising, maybe it's not wholeheartedly true. So they've right. become very skeptical. And, um, and I did a, um, a video um, that won a Telly Award, and it was for a an organization called The Kindering Center. It's Early Intervention for Children with Disabilities, and it's a wonderful place. Um, and all I did was just focus the camera. I did another one for another company where it took five takes for the CEO to say we're a people company. He just, he just couldn't get it out. So the camera doesn't lie. Yeah. Now, you can do a lot of editing, and you can switch things around, but there's always just going to, it's been my experience, that there's just always something wrong with a bad place. You just can't make it perfect. You can make it slick, which is a very negative word, but you can never make it true. It's, it's going to hold itself. And, and uh, I would hope, talk about hope, that people are able to, uh, to filter through to the truth on anything that's presented to them even by somebody as accomplished as me. And when you become rather good at what you do, um, there's a responsibility to choose the kinds of clients um, that you think are doing some good out there in the world and stay away from other ones that hopefully somebody else would come along with as much confidence as you, but maybe not as much skill, and, um, uh, and, and let those people look like what they deserve to look like. What's next for you, Nate? Where do, where do you go from here? Where does the experience go from here? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, um, uh, uh, I have a new puppy. I have uh, <laughs> five acres. I'm thinking of getting a horse. I'm having a, a, a good time. I'm, uh, I feel great. I'm at the top of my game. And... Um, uh, I guess I, um, uh, like I said, just going to, you know, be putting up a website really soon and uh, uh, to come out of the closet, you know, actually, you know, maybe even let people know that I st I'm still alive. <laughs> and um, uh, so uh, I want to get really fairly assertive 
uh, um, with some people that deserve to have their story told, and I'll, I'll, I'll help them get that story out. Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, I'm kind of covered. I can, you know, I've, I have enough um, uh, mental satisfaction. That's such a bad word. I mean, you know, I'm dealing with the things I'm carrying to the grave. You know, uh, you know they're not going uh, to trip me up. Right. I'm okay, and I have enough funds I can get over the hill. And so I'm just looking Good to... Good place to be. Good place to be. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm just looking to be around people that I like who... Uh, I'm just looking to be around people that I like. I think people are happy to see me because they know I can be anywhere. So if, I sh- if, I'm, if I'm in front of you, it's because I want to be here. That's not like waking up cool. out of the matrix, is it? <laughs> <laughs> this, this has been a real pleasure. It I am, has I been am interesting. S- God, absolutely interesting. I am so, uh, I'm so glad we worked this out and that you were mm-hmm. flexible in your schedule to be able to come sit down with us. It's a, a pleasure getting to know you, and thank you for your time today. Thank you very, very much. I mean, very Seattle good. campus, I mean, the Seattle students should be proud. I, I, you know, we've done come up here several times and done some shows, and I, I've just continued to be impressed with I their know. faculty members. The, the I think it's of, excellent. of resource here has been yeah. really outstanding. So. so wonderful. Well, we were talking with Nate earlier. If anybody did want to get in touch with him, what they can do is just contact us at the show. Yeah, at uh, Tuesday12.com. You can write us an email at the show at Tuesday12.com. Or any of our first names. Or at our first names at Tuesday12.com. Jamie, Pete, or Mary at Tuesday12.com. And and, um, we we all three of us check those uh, addresses quite regularly. Happy Halloween, everybody. Subscribe to the show. Don't just listen off the website. Uh, Be good to your kids and pets. Don't make them dress up like a cauliflower. Or cauliflower or banana. It's an eggplant. And uh, and be good, everybody. (laughs) Until next week, this has been Tuesday News. We're out. This has been Tuesday Noon for October 31st, 2006. For more information on the show and to subscribe to the podcast, catch up with us on our website at www.tuesday12.com and write us at the show at tuesday12.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week, Tuesday Noon.